0: All right. Well, are you looking for courage uh, this Christmas season? There's something about the holidays. It tend to create a, a massive amount of stress in our lives, which is not really the point of them, but it happens a lot. There's something about the, the financial burden of having to get all of the things that we need to get in the time frame that we have, which always seems far too short. Uh, we suddenly find ourselves missing people who we love dearly and who we don't get to be with at the holidays and dealing with people who are also stressed out, which just adds to this sort of never-increasing thing of, of stress. And in the midst of all of this, there is a message all around us, and you can hear it pretty much every way you turn. Be afraid. Be very afraid. It doesn't matter which news outlet you're following these days. It doesn't matter if they lean right or left. It doesn't matter which... ...newspaper or periodical or blog... ...or whatever you happen to look at on the internet... ...whoever you happen to be talking with... ...the message seems the same... ...even though the characters change... ...be afraid... ...they are coming... ...and the they changes... ...the they might be Russia or North Korea... ...or immigrants, men in general... ...Republicans, Democrats... ...whoever they are... ...they happen to be coming for you... ...they're coming for your guns... ...they're coming for our daughters or our bodies... ...or our freedom or our rights... ...and we should be afraid... And it's in the midst of these dark days that it seems wise for us to turn to an extremely countercultural message, one of hope. And we're going to turn to some dusty old stories that proclaim a very different kind of news, good news, mm-hmm. the news that He is coming mm-hmm. and that there's nothing to fear, that He is coming. And so there is good reason for hope and joy and peace and love, that He is coming And we should be of good cheer, we should take heart, we should be extremely courageous. So we're going to go looking for courage this year in some stories about the gospel. Uh, Turn with me to the gospel of Luke chapter 1, we're going to be at verse 26. Luke chapter 1, 26. It's an oldie but a goodie. All right. I'm just going to wait for the rustling of pages. I want people to actually read our Bibles. It's a good thing. All right, Luke 1.26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And therefore the child to be born will be holy. And he will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her, who is said to be barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here I am, servant of the Lord, let it be with me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There are some people who have a lot of trouble with the idea of the virgin birth. And you may be one of them, and that's okay. I think I understand where you're coming from. But I would encourage you not to get distracted by that. Because the gospel is not merely claiming that a virgin gave birth to a son, which would be amazing and remarkable and a mystery. But the gospel is claiming so much more than that that the uncontainable God of the universe was contained, not merely in a world, but in a womb. That the timeless being himself allowed time to bind him for nine months and then 30 or so years as a mortal man. That he got older is amazing. That the infinite became incarnate, that God took on flesh. There is a mystery here, but it is so much bigger than we could possibly understand or explain. And it is all announced to one of the most unlikely people you could imagine, some girl in the middle of nowhere. And the story, when it starts, does so in such a way to really highlight the juxtaposition of the angel and Mary. In verse 26, in the sixth month, and we'll come back to that, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Gabriel is one of the very few angels in the Old and New Testament who gets a name. There are lots of angels in the Old and New Testament, but we don't really hear much about their identity, not because they don't have one, but because they're not the creatures who matter. We're very interested in the God who is sending them, not so much in the angels themselves. But every now and again, an angel gets a name, and maybe that's because they're particularly important. But the last time we met Gabriel was 400 or so years earlier, and he was talking to one of the most grizzled, gnarly prophets of the Old Testament— Daniel, and he's giving him explicit instructions about the end of the world. So this guy is back and he has a message. He has flown right from the presence of God. He is going somewhere with urgent news, and you would assume he's going to the emperor. He's going to a king or a priest or a prophet. Someone the world will listen to, because whatever he has to say is of vital importance. It comes from the Most High God Himself. So he goes to Apache County, Arizona. (laughs) To a town called Concho, where there is a man named Joseph who is distantly related to George Washington. That guy is engaged to some girl named Mary. The angel wants to talk to her. There is no less important region in the world than Galilee. There is no less significant town than Nazareth. It just does not matter. And the interesting thing about David is that he's not actually the point of the story, that... Joseph isn't really the point of the story, that Mary is the center of God's attention. And Mary, well, let's just say that courage comes from unlikely places. Mm -hmm. But courage really does come from unlikely places. I want you to look at some pictures, and we'll see how well this goes. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. No. No. See, this is what happens. The best laid plans. There we go. Nice. Uh, which of these people is likely to change the world? Uh, which of these people would you expect to be at the center of a message that is going to bring salvation? To the whole of humanity. Oh, it's got to be one of these three people, right? One of the faces that you actually recognize. Michelle Obama or Mark Zuckerberg or Bill Gates. I mean, these are powerful, wealthy people. They have already impacted the world in significant ways. They have the names of world leaders on their cell phones. These are the kinds of people that you expect God to use. Who is this girl? Exactly. Exactly. This is just some random girl from the Middle East. The only way she's going to do anything significant is if, well, God uses her. But odds are, no one will ever know her name. And that matters. It matters because Mary is someone that we forget was never important. Because she's in stained glass windows and all sorts of Renaissance artworks. And she's on my front porch in a nice little statue in a manger scene. We, we think of Mary as this remarkable, pious woman who always has clean-cut features and never needs a shower. She's radiating light and energy and blessing, and you forget that she's just some poor, confused girl in the middle of nowhere. Courage comes from unlikely places. Power for people. They need courage to change the world. It's true. It's true. But they also have other resources, a lot that they can draw on, but it's the powerless, the unimportant, the ordinary people, people like you and me, people even less significant than you and me, who have no other resources than the courage to trust the God of the universe. Mary trusts that God will move in and through her. That's what makes Mary so amazing. That's what makes her a model for any and every Christian who would like to follow Jesus. And yet, even in the midst of us talking about Mary being unimportant and ordinary, there still seems to be something to Mary that doesn't quite meet the eye at first. God loves to use people who who don 't really look like the obvious person to use, but there is something about Mary as you pay attention. She goes toe to toe right with the supernatural, terrifying being and doesn't actually seem that concerned. She takes it in stride in a very weird way. To give you some perspective, Daniel, the Old Testament prophet I mentioned, at one point was thrown into a pit of lions and took that in stride. But later, when he meets Gabriel, is on the ground terrified and shaking. Earlier in this chapter of Luke, actually, the angel Gabriel will go and meet one of Mary's relatives, an old man who is a priest who knows something about God and God's story and how God meets people. He's in the temple worshiping God, a place where you might expect to meet an angel. And an angel shows up and he is on the ground, terrified, shaking. But Mary, Mary hears a sentence like, greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Very angelic. Another way of translating that might be, rejoice, you are one of God's favorite people. He is with you. Mary hears that, from an angel, and her reaction is, that's a weird thing to say. (laughs) Uh, She is perplexed. She is shaken. She's troubled, depending on your translation. She's a little confused, trying to figure out what exactly that means. Me? Why me? What does that mean? But not afraid. There is a courage in Mary, a courage in Mary that we find and should be surprised by. Because it doesn't really seem to fit the situation. It may give us a sense of why God is so interested in talking to Mary. See, courage comes from unlikely places, but God is looking in unlikely places for courage. You see it all over the Bible, but particularly with Mary, God seems to strike gold. Because she hears something like, you are one of God's favorite people, and just wants to hear more. And so the angel goes on to say, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You're going to get pregnant. You're going to bear a son. His name will be Jesus, which in Hebrew means he will save people. God saves is literally what it means. You will name him Jesus, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, the Son of God. You are going to give birth to God's Son. And, do we really need an and? And he will sit on the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign forever over the house of Israel. Of his kingdom there will be no end which we heard about a little bit before as they were lighting a candle. He's going to be a king forever. And Mary takes all of this in stride, these incredible, remarkable promises. That everything God has ever said is going to come true in one person. His name is Jesus. You're going to give birth to Him. You are at the center of God's plan to save the world. That everything God has ever said and done, all of the question marks of all of history, are going to be answered, and you are at the heart of that plan. And Mary's only question is, I don't understand how that's possible I've never had sex before, which is a spectacular response. It's not, wait, God doesn't do things like that. It's not, but we've been waiting 400 years. Why now? Why me? I don't really believe that that's who God is. I don't really believe that God's going to actually make good on all of those promises. We've been waiting too long. That sounds too good to be true. Mary's only question is, but I'm a virgin in verse 34. Literally, (laughs) I've never known a man or I've never had sex. That's what it is. And we think, thousands of years later, that we are more sophisticated, that we understand where babies come from. And apparently they didn't know then, which is amazing. The virgin birth, even at the time, was scandalous. In fact, maybe more scandalous. Because now, in the Middle East, if a girl who is unmarried gets pregnant, her life is over. I mean, it is a dangerous, dangerous situation, even now. Only in our time and in our country do we think that virginity is a casual thing. Only in our time in our country do we think it's not something precious, something that we need to hang on to, something that is worth protecting. But Mary absolutely knows that that sentence will ruin her life, and her only question is a curious one. I don't understand how that's possible. Not, please don't do that to me. Please don't destroy my fiancé and my relationship. You will ruin my relationship. For sure. I am living with my parents. I will get kicked out. For sure. At the very least, they will be ashamed of me. The town will be ashamed of me. If it doesn't get worse than that, my life is over. And you think about every junior high or high school kid, if you've ever been one of those. If you've ever spent time with people like that, you do occasionally hear them say, my life is over. And it sounds extremely melodramatic when they say it. Although, in fairness, if you're 13 and you've been in a three-month relationship and it ends... That's a long time. I mean, that's like four or five years in real adult person time. (laughs) You haven't been alive, but my life is over. These are real problems. They just sound like little kid problems. But as adults, we still have those kinds of crises all the time. We think, my life is over. We just don't say it out loud because it sounds really immature. But we do get destroyed by a crisis from time to time when things don't go our way. When the plan we had for the future gets ruined. And Mary's reaction to that is, well... Let it be to me. Here I am at God's disposal. I'm God's servant. Do whatever you want. I'm God's slave, literally, is what that says. He can do whatever he wants with me. Let it be with me according to your word. That's an amazing thing to say. Amazing in particular, because in the Old Testament, when God comes to Abraham and says, you're going to have a kid, and Sarah, you're going to have a kid, they go, nah, I don't know, man. How are we going to know that's true? When God comes to Moses, he says, oh, no. No, 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 no. Do not pick me. Do not make me do that. Find someone else. When God comes to Gideon and says, The Lord is with you, Gideon's response is shenanigans. If God was with me, my life would be better right now. Where prophets and priests fear to tread, Mary believes. There is a courage in this girl to accept the gifts of God that does not exist in most people. She is an amazing human being. It reminds me of that kind of ad campaign that was going around the internet for a little while. They showed little girls uh, the sentence, uh, run like a girl, which is a classic kind of insult. For uh, He runs like a girl. But they showed it to little girls and they didn't actually understand it was an insult. What do you think it means to run like a girl? And the girls would say, it means you run really fast. You run faster than anybody else until your legs can't work and it's hard to breathe. What does it mean to hit like a girl? It means you hit harder than anybody else. What does it mean to have faith like this girl? Greetings favored one. You are one of God's favorite people. Nowhere in the Bible does anyone get that kind of greeting. No one else. You are one of God's favorite people. And she's confused maybe because she knows the stories and goes, Well, that's weird. Why me? Why me? Why am I one of God's favorite people? But Mary is willing to accept this gift of God that absolutely turns her life upside down, which might beg the question, what would happen if ordinary people like you and me had the courage, had the courage, Mm -hmm. to accept gifts from God? To accept the fact that you are, in fact, one of God's absolutely favorite people? That when we hear the sentence, Do not be afraid, You have found favor with God. That is true for Mary in a way that is not true for us. But that is true for us in a way that we often forget. Do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. How many of us, when we are given a gift by God, our reaction sounds a little bit more like those other people in the Bible. Oh, man, don't do that to me. My life is over. We hear these great, amazing things. Like you're going to have a guy with you named Jesus. Jesus. He's going to completely change the world. Of His kingdom, there will be no end. And no matter what kind of bad news that brings in your life, there's so much good news that it's should overwhelm it. And yet, in the midst of it all, we think, but I'm going to have to give up things. And my plans for the future are going to have to change. I'm going to lose relationships that were precious to me. I'm, I'm going to lose status that was precious to me. I, things might go hard for me. I might suffer. Imagine if we had the courage... To believe the sentence, do not be afraid. You have found favor with God. Another translation for that word favor. You have found the grace of God. God's grace is with you. That's what he's saying to Mary. And she has the courage to believe it. The only evidence he offers. How will I know that this is true? I mean, I've never had sex with you. How is that going to happen? He says, well, you may not know this, but your cousin Elizabeth. She's already pregnant. She, who people called sterile, people called barren, people were whispering behind her back saying she's never going to get pregnant. God is not that good in her life. She's been pregnant for six months. You haven't seen her for a while for a reason. And that six-month reference at the very beginning, in the six month of her pregnancy, that's what it means. And then we find out a little bit later after our story is over that Mary will go and look Elizabeth, and they'll have this great conversation where the baby starts bouncing around inside Elizabeth, and and we begin to realize that maybe those babies have a relationship coming down the road, but Elizabeth will say at the very, very end, blessed are you, I think it's verse 44 of chapter 1, blessed are you because you believe that God keeps His promises, because you believe every word that God says will come to completion, that He does what He says He's going to do. Mary believes it. She has the courage to trust and to believe that God really will do what He says He's going to do, that He keeps His promises, that He is with her, and that she shouldn't be afraid, that she should be courageous. Uh, it also says that the angel, when he tries to explain things, and basically doesn't explain things, the Holy Spirit will be with you. The Spirit of God will overshadow you. The, the Most High will shade you the way He shades the temple in the Old Testament, the way He comes upon the tabernacle in the Old Testament. Mary's like this holy building that God is going to live inside of. That's the closest explanation I can give you. But just believe, and you will see what God can do in and through you. Marriage has the courage to trust. And if you and I could find that same courage in the midst of these stories, if we could find the same courage that Mary finds as she gets closer and closer to the God of the universe, as she literally feeds Him in a way that is mysterious, as she eventually becomes His mom in a way that is mysterious, and yet He remains her Lord all the days of her life and long after her life, we might come to understand the courage it takes to trust the God of the universe. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we are grateful we are grateful that in Jesus Christ, all your promises are yes and amen. And we pray, Lord God, that in this season, you might teach us to hope. You might teach us to wait with bated breath on pins and needles at the edge of our seat for the day that you come, that we would prepare our hearts, O oh Lord, for your arrival at Christmas, but for your return, and that you would come soon. In the name of Jesus, amen.